This is Mike Madrid. And this is Gregory Rodriguez. We're your hosts for Americanata, where we'll be exploring the intersection of race, class, culture, and politics during a time of extraordinary change. We'll be thinking out loud and processing what's on our minds as we go, unfiltered. And we're looking forward to you joining us for this discussion as we explore how we got to this tumultuous moment in the United States. This morning, I was um, taking a morning walk and kind of pondering a number of different things that we've been discussing over the course of the past couple of weeks and kind of watching the news unfold. And um, Gregory, there was a couple of things I wanted to, to visit with you on and get your sense of, but one, one, one thematic kind of kept popping out in which is um, as as we are watching some of the underpinnings of our um, politics come unwound and as we're watching kind of some of our cultural weaknesses um, become more vividly displayed and listening to Biden's joint address to Congress, reading um, something in The Economist about are the Western European nations saying that the West is not done yet as Russia and China start to exert their autocratic muscles globally. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of stuck with this sense that um, if America is in decline and we can talk about that, if America, if America is, is a declining empire. Um, and again, that's probably a podcast for another day. Are we, aren't we, but for, for, for the, for the moment, for the sake of discussion, let's, let's just say that the, this, this, Amer this, century will not be an American century the way the last one was, that there is a rising power, whether it's China or Russia, some combination or another, we are no longer the sole hegemonic power in the world. What happens to an America domestically if in 50 years, towards the latter part of this century, we begin to recognize that we are no longer the sole superpower we're no longer the hegemon we're no longer the number one power in the world what does that do to a country um if we transition do, do we do we how, how did the well we'll get into how the english handled well, it when they handed the baton well, over let, let that's a i won't touch with the the english thing but uh the british thing but um because we brexit answers your question there so that's another topic but the great 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 opening here um uh, two things. One, I have been to sh Shanghai a few times in my life, and it's an extraordinary place. And the first time I was there, I was sitting, standing uh, in the Bund, uh, 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 looking at Pudong across the river and looking at all of these amazing skyscrapers. And I had read, my guidebook told me that Shanghai built the equivalent of all of Hong Kong's office buildings in 10 years. And I looked at it overwhelmed and said, we lost, we're done. Two, one, okay, first point. What year Two, was this in? Uh, the last time I was there, I think was 2009. Two, it, it, we tend to think in terms of, and I like your question because it's it's implying that national decline isn't just about the nation. So we tend to we tend to think of national decline in terms of foreign policy, right? And for in terms of of military power, economic power, and and to the extent and, and the ego of a nation, if you will, vis-a-vis -vis other nations. But mm -hmm. there is a link between national identity and national confidence, and 
individual citizen confidence. I mean, we don't talk about it as much, but Pete, there is a, there is a connection between individual ego formation and national identity and what your country is and who's, you know, how many goals you win, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think the sense of decline is, it, it's, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, vis-a-vis -vis Russia or China. It, there is a sense of decline. Uh, you know what I mean? There can be just a sense of decline in and of yourself. You don't need the, 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 the opposing. Um, I think Biden's actually trying to really resurrect, not the yeah. enemy. He's trying to resurrect the notion of, of a threat in the nicest possible way. Right. He's I, I do to, want to talk about that. Let's pin yeah, that. Cause I do want China, to get into that China too. as rival, not enemy per se, but as rival. Agreed. again, to, to get our engines running. Uh, I think it's a, it's a strategy to get America. But, but uh, so, yeah, I think I, but I think this, this is um, three, American identity is always has always been in flux because change is endemic to this culture and progress and again a disdain for tradition. It's not not only not only dislike but a disdain for tradition. So it's not. But but I I recently read um, or reread Jimmy Carter's Crisis of Confidence speech in 1979, and dude, he says it. And what happened? He got swept out of office. Mm -hmm. And if you look at what he says, he, I think in the end, Jimmy Carter is going to be the great uh, prophet of our times. He actually talks about a threat to our democracy that cannot be fixed by the mechanics of legislation, but that it is a problem of spirit. And let me, and then I just call it up be, right, be, while I was waiting for you to get on, on online. And uh, just two paragraphs, if you will. Jimmy Carter, July 15th, 1979. Um, uh, 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 uh. So I want to speak to you again first tonight about a subject even more serious than energy or inflation. I want to talk to you right now about a fundamental threat to American democracy. I do not mean our political and civil liberties. They will endure. And I do not refer to the outward strength of America, a nation that is at peace tonight everywhere in the world with unmatched economic power and military might. The threat is nearly invisible in ordinary ways. It is a crisis of confidence. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. We can see this crisis in the growing doubt about the meaning of our own lives and the loss of a unity of purpose for our nation. The erosion of our confidence in the future is threatening to destroy the social and political fabric of America. Dude, he's a prophet. This, I mean, the, 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 those words could be spoken today. Mm -hmm. So what did we do? We, the, the American people brought in somebody who was going to say it. Hey, what are you talking about? It's morning in America. Right. But morning, morning came in our heads. But this malaise, as they called it, this right. the malaise speech, yeah. the sense, again, the loss of meaning. This didn't appear yesterday or a week before. This was the president of the United States in 1979. And it was a long, winding, boring speech. And it, it ushered him out the door. But what, so, so there you go. It doesn't require an enemy. And there is something at the core of America that knows that things are not right. Wow, that, there's. Um, first, I was I was envisioning you with a more of a southern drawl given that speech. I was hoping that you. No, I'm that, sorry. That, that, yeah, that and you he, do your best, Jimmy Carter, when you actually a, gave that. And he had a lovely accent too. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was a southerner too, right? The first southerner in our lifetimes to become president, and um, I, I wonder what gives him that keen insight. Oh, no, Lyndon Johnson. 
Lyndon Johnson. Johnson was Texan. Sorry, I wasn't alive during the Johnson era. You were Ooh, you're a little bit older. Rock, another, no more Rocky Road, brother. No in, my more Rocky Road. <laughs> in my lifetime, yeah. he was the only, uh, the first Southerner. Um, it's also an evangelical, yeah. right? Incidentally, Jimmy Carter. And, 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 and Carter's facing some really significant crises before him. I remember as a kid feeling a sense that America had lost its role as a superpower. In fact, my very first, I get to ask this a lot uh, when, when being interviewed about how I got started in politics. My very first political memory was uh, seeing yellow ribbons tied around oak trees in memory of our hostages being held in the Iranian embassy. Tony, Orlando, and Don. That's what that brings up to me. But go on. I don't, that's probably from a generation before. No, mine, that's a but, song. Tie another ribbon around the old oak tree. Same yeah, era. But that was, that was previous. That was before the hostage situation. Oh, really? I just yeah, connected that was, it. The, that was, I think, a World War II thing. Oh, please. Yeah. So, or maybe Orlando World War World I. War I don't know how far <laughs> back you go, but let's, let's not lose the listeners because this is important. Jesus. So the 78, 79, right? This, the, the storming of the embassy, there's kind of this Middle Eastern country. I remember watching kind of, we watched television and discussed politics at the dinner table every night. And it was a countdown of days of how long our, our, our hostages had been held in this embassy. The flag was being burned nightly on television. And all I kept saying was, if we're this amazing, strong, powerful nation, why have these people brought us to our knees? And why don't we just go in there and get them? Now, of course, it's a, that's a six, seven, eight-year-old talking. But that, that, that sense that America had lost its place was really pervasive. And there was something about Reaganism, as perhaps jingoistic and cosmetic as it was, that did give Americans this sense that we were back. Okay, got it. But but before you get all crusady, national <laughs> uh, national superiority military does not mean you're great, and it does not mean your confidence is great. Jimmy Carter was right. He said they were the strong. U.S. was the strongest nation in the world on July fifteenth, nineteen seventy nine, with zero parallels. Okay, so it isn't. A, so we, this is what's problem with American patriotism. It, it confuses domination with greatness. Huh. And that's what, which brings, which gives poignancy to your original question. Who are Americans if they're not number one, number one, number one? Like, which is it? Does every country have to, does every country just want to kill themselves because they're not number one? No. Hmm. So can America de 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 derive a sense of specialness that all nations and peoples and ethnicities seem to need to have as it shifts place in the world order? And yes, yeah, so we're going to have to stop saying, hey, why can't we get those, uh, you know, these hostages out? I mean, and still say we love our country and our country is great because it's not our, our belief in it and our sense of our national destiny, whatever the hell that means. Sorry, I'm using the language of the hate uh, is, is not threatened by a temporary uh, geopolitical, you know, fiasco that you can actually have a bad day and still say you're great, you know? Yeah, that's really well put. I just, yeah, I think I look, I think there's something to that. And I, I do fret, I fret, I fret about the idea You're that not I, a fretter, dude. You're not I'm a not a fretter. I, no. That a dominant, if, if America is not dominant or dominating, what is it? Well, exactly. Great. There, there, there's the question of our times. And so let's go back to who suffers more with the sense of decline. 
right? And you know, I've written about this. Uh, so those who identify most with the nation tend to be white folks, not that other people don't identify with the nation, right. but those who identify most. And they, we are also, we're already, surveys are already showing that whites, their own personal or, or sense of uh, group uh, uh, confidence is declining as the national confidence declines. Okay. Right. That's going to happen. That's going to trickle down because it's, it's not as though Mexican Americans aren't patriots or, or, or African Americans aren't patriots. They are. Most people poll very well and high in pride in their country. So there will be a crisis in confidence for all groups, but whites will probably suffer more given their hyper identification with the nature nation thinking it's theirs. Um, and then you couple that with a discussion about whether it is theirs and they're going to freak out more. So, so, but th that's the problem. We, 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 so if you, I, I wanted to shift the discussion by talking about Jimmy Carter, cause dude, that was a long time ago. So this has been going on for a long time Yeah, and it's not new. And the threat to democracy is not new. And it's not the first president in our lifetimes to talk about it, but we now believe it. That might be the visceral difference here. Right. Uh, a, a fiasco of hostages is different than damn China is that different than my feeling in Shanghai. Like, oh, my God, there's nothing the U.S. can do to just to fight this. Um, and then so in, in my in my travels, I I always like to ask people, you know, as I, you know, I, I like how people to find themselves collectively, right? I always, I've asked people in Iowa what they think of people in Nebraska. And you know that, I always do that. And mm -hmm. I'm always trying to get what people's sense of self is. Um, and I spend a lot of time in Spain, as you know, and what I can, at least what I can decipher for all the dumb questions I ask from anybody who will talk to me is there, it's the best country in the world to live. That's their jingoism, right? They, they lost an empire 500 years ago, but they'll say it's the best country in the world to live. Isn't that interesting? Oh, it so, is. I mean, and the French, I'm, I'm sure, have a, their own sense of their own, you know, we of their own sense of protocol and 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 that 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 amazing, you know, choreographed nature of French culture. That and, and Mexicans have. I remember going to Mexico at 19 by myself, and and I and I and I and this this the, the driver who. I mean, I, I was a I was a Chicano kid, right? I was a pocho kid who hired a driver for the day. I mean, it was not very much. I was a college student, and the and the kid was like, well, first of all, he he liked that I hired him the day, but I was less. I was I was younger than him, right? So I had that dynamic, and he said, uh, he said, but you don't have enchiladas there, <laughs> and and you don't have swear to God, uh, you don't you don't have how great can you be? There. No, no, no. But, but the point was no. The, no, the point was you. You're a Mexican, you're an ethnic Mexican who left here, so you must have lost things, mm. right? You must be at a loss. And I, and my, my being, I think, particularly insensitive at the moment, I said, no, we have chile relleno, we have enchiladas. And, you know what I mean? Like, give the guy a win. But he was, but he basically said, but you've lost something. And what we have is like love and rootedness. He didn't say it in those fancy words, but he says, we have we didn't have to go anywhere and lose something to get to be happy. Like, ouch. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some truth to that. We know that the, the process of acculturation assimilation in the United States is not a, not one that, that, that doesn't it carries pain, carries loss by definition. So, so every nation seems to, and every collective and every ethnicity has some sense of being, special but it doesn't have to be the best <laughs> and i think that's but, the, but america does right 
I've, since since the end of the World War end of World War II, but somebody it seems to me we're going to have to have conversations about what it means to be American that doesn't involve being the best. What does it do to race relations internally, domestically, if we if we no longer perceive ourselves as a global super, the sole global superpower? Well, well, let me put it this way: as much as we talk about social movements changing things for the better, blah blah blah, sometimes it's events like winning a world war that then affects. So American military might turns into American economic might, which then creates great and vast social mobility for African-Americans and Mexican-Americans post-war, mm-hmm. uh, post-World War II, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So think of it in this terms. If the United States, and, and I saw this, the United States um, pay, spends more on its military than I think all, than the next 39 countries combined or something yeah. like that, the next 15 countries combined. It's, no, Sorry, it's the United States spends it's 39% of all global military spending of all countries in the world. It's wow. amazing. Okay. So so the question then to answer your question is so if the United States is no longer militarily dominant, it will it will lose economic dominance. And what will that do to social mobility? And then what will the the declining social mobility do to race relations? Great. Uh, for for the first time, I think it's becoming apparent to me how much our military strength is central to American identity. And I'm saying that because the rise of the American century, last century, was correlate to our involvement in two world wars, but also, as you accurately point out, the creation of a middle class due to extraordinary military spending during the Cold War and beyond leads to this really tremendous era of prosperity. And by creating and dominating a global trade system. Precisely. And by getting cheap labor from around the world that you don't have to educate. Yeah, there's multipliers that just go on and on because of our dominance militarily creates economic dominance. And if you lose one of those, it becomes a threat to the other. Or if you lose if you lose military might, if we lose our military or economic dominance, we probably lose we probably lose the other. Yeah, and I think it-, it Which could it, be crippling. It could be great. We could become a kind people. We could become a merciful people. We could become a people who enjoy life. We could, you know, this is a, this is a nasty country. It's a great country, but it's a nasty country. And yeah. th- I mean, you know, all things don't, you know, all things don't last forever. Um, and uh, how, you know, we, we could be the Pittsburgh of nations, Mike. Um, you know- <laughs> Uh, so 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 isn't that what western europe has been for the last 50 years the pittsburgh of nations yeah but but where would i rather live you know pittsburgh no no, pittsburgh no no, i'm saying i thought you said was europe been the pittsburgh of nations yeah i would rather live in europe well you do essentially yeah yeah, so so i i you know i mean the the absence of the hubris um is again, it's not just white folks. It's 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 all of us benefit. I mean, to the extent that we benefit socioeconomically in this country, those who don't don't. But uh, so the mobility, to the extent that it still exists, it, it comes from dominance, and it's time. I mean, it wasn't going to last forever. You know, the Soviet Union lasted what seventy years. Um, the American nation will have lasted, if it's already gone, right, fifty years. 
it's and and it's time to we can either have a tantrum and elect trump and tell us how we're great 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 again and you know puff up the put smoke off of white people saying they're they're the greatest or we can begin to do maybe better than you know maybe a better speech than jimmy carter's the content was great. The delivery was just like, really, you wanted to jump off, right. <laughs> jump right. off a building, you know, but it would be, I mean, I mean, Biden's actually threading that needle just, just by his temperament in a way. Right. He's, he's doing the, our rival, they can't beat us, but he's not doing it in a, in a, in a way that's, uh, he's not saber rattling and he's not shaking his fist and he's not really rallying the troops to say let's go into our imminent death and go to battle here right, <laughs> right. he's not saying it's a yeah and he's it's a bilateral he, but but it was it was significant whenever a, 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 you know a president of the united states goes to the well of congress and says when i talk to president xi and china and he's they all think that we're our days are done i mean i think i think it didn't make it didn't make news because I think there was a sense amongst people that shit, if the last four years didn't say there's something really wrong with us. Yeah. We're never going to acknowledge that. I mean, the Trump era was a crippling blow to our identity on the national stage. <laughs> I mean, and there's, again, nobody, there's nobody who says America is the world leader right now. It's kind of like they're looking for it, right? Even and Russia again, and China are, are kind of siding up to each other for the first time and saying, hey, wait a second, we've hated each other for 100 years, but this guy's on his knees. And Let's again, give this guy a quick kick in the, in the, in the, in the gut because he's, in, he's, he's, he's down. And again, it, it, I think it's a blessing. This country uh, needs to change. It needs to treat its people differently. It needs to this, this way before the. I mean, right way before the rise of the. You know, well, I don't even, the rise of China. We had a crisis of confidence. With, with Jimmy Carter, just to go back to it, he's talking about a sense of purpose and unity, and and he actually goes specifically into whether we're going to become a country all about just getting what you want. He literally says, "This is this is the if we don't find unity and sense of purpose." We become a selfish country about getting over on someone else, which is exactly what we are. It's just Trump didn't, it was not, you know, uh, you know, it wasn't a virgin birth. Trump was predictable. Trump was predicted. And he was the most craven of the craven. And he came from a craven culture. I mean, Jesus, like, so yeah, tr thank God he's gone. And thank God that he was here so that people can actually seek to make a culture. But again, but sort of, we talked about wokeism. That's not a constructive dialogue about improvement. So there is no sense of common culture. There's no, there's no drive to talk about what we all share. Um, so we're screwed basically. And how, how many Trump, <laughs> how many Trumps and you know, how many do we need to say people, the country can't just be about either, you know, uh, can't be, be out for your own individually or out for your own group that it has to, amassed to something bigger than each, than, an, than your own group and your own self, that it has to, that a nation, a successful nation has to think about how we all benefit. Without a foreign threat, without frontier, without a vision of where we're going forward, what have we ever had as a people that has bound us with a common White vision? supremacy. White mm -hmm. supremacy combined, created 
the connection between European origin people at the at the uh, you know at, at the expense of of, of Native Americans and then Mexican Americans clearly African Americans always but but I was just thinking sort of geographically um, you know in, in Native American land and then Mexican land right so it white supremacy kept kept white created whiteness and and kept that sense of the common good but the pro- the problem was the common good meant white people and the few you know non whites who you know all i was reading somewhere all multicultural imperial empires need uh some to 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 need the upward mobility of its visible minorities to have some legitimacy so that you know it was never going to co- be a complete shutout right yeah. so there was always going to be your your multiculti uh, contributions but if it can't be directed more broadly uh, to a broad cross section a section of people who do not feel they belong to the common culture including whites yeah we have a big problem and that's that again is not, not as i think the jimmy carter thing dude is genius it's not purely if not it's not a political problem it's a cultural problem and our sense of culture the cultural stuff coming from universities is pretty navel gazing pretty specific pretty group obsessed uh, there's not a lot of big uh you know, thinking about the future, the culture that anybody can understand. Uh, the, 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 you know, the corporate America is the same way. It's all the segmented markets and it's all about self-interest and politics. You know that, you know, yes, that, you know what, you know where we're at. And, but the one thing is the, 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 the infrastructure talk, I think is really important, right? Because that can be common and physical and produce jobs. So that, that, that's important. Not very exciting, and 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 you know, dude. I as I I think we've discussed this at the top down thing and not explaining to people what its meaning is and not having to read the Wall Street Journal to explain it to me. It'd be great if the president actually explained why it was important. Literally, socially, yeah, socially. We're putting it back together again, people, and these jobs will trickle down to communities and lift people up in different ways. And you know. And that maybe I can't explain. I'm not. I'm not a president worshiper of any president, so I, I shouldn't be actually saying the president should do this. But people have to be talking about the common good, or we're just we're we're going to continue to to be chopping ourselves with knives, which I think is what we're doing now. But don't. I think that's so dead on. If we don't talk about the common good, we will be chopping at ourselves with knives, which is what we're doing right now. I, I think that's exactly right. But I don't think we have a, a common foundation for what the common good is i think that's what the problem is right it's not it's not self-evident like like the, the common good without white supremacy without frontier and without a foreign threat what the hell is the common good in america yeah but that's that that's been the american dilemma from 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 the beginning like what is it since it wasn't birthed from a particular ethnic group um you know i mean you know the, the samuel huntington's of the world would say it's creedal right it's about the beliefs um, but he, he also knew that that wasn't enough to keep a people together. Beliefs are just won't cut it. Um, and then, yeah, a sense of fairness. Uh, the, people buy into systems that they feel treats them with the relative fairness. Um, and I don't think people feel that. The whole rigging thing that came from Sanders and Trump, it worked. They said it because it resonated. People yeah. are predisposed to believe that. The system because, is rigged. It doesn't work. It's not they, fair. Perhaps, America's not a fair place. Perhaps because they feel that for themselves, right? So, 
we're not really addressing it. Um, I don't, I don't, we, you, I don't think you and I agree on this, but I don't think the, the current, you know, discourse is addressing anything fundamental to, again, constructive, like, you know, taking out the editor of Teen Vogue, uh, is like, wow, that's just put, that's put the whoever tweeted against her on Mount Rushmore. It's all, it's all, it's all destructive. It's, there's nothing, there's nobody constructing new identities. Who does it right? What countries do it right? I mean, we're talking about something different. We're talking about doing it right in a time of decline, right? I don't, I don't know if there's a book. I don't know what, you know, uh, you know, I guess I I don't know enough about it, but Britain had to reassess itself vis-a-vis the United States after World War II, right? Um, I I feel like Britain, in Britain's case, it was just kind of the sense of fatigue and handing off the baton to its wayward child who finally came into their own. That's foundationally different than like China, the rise of China, right? But again, I, I just, I don't think we should put, it's not about China because Jimmy Carter said this in 1979. It's not about, it doesn't matter who it is. It's we feel wounded. No, it's in our own culture. Things are not working and they haven't been working for a long time. And some of it is just systemic. Some of it is the excesses, some would say, of classical liberalism. Some of it is the natural excesses of a country predicated on the pursuit of individual happiness. Some of it is, uh, you know, the the excesses of democracy. Um, and Carter uh, Carter would say that it was about the lack of a common good. Yeah, and that it was it was uh, it was you know the culture of selfishness. Here, 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 and let me go back to this. I just found it here. Uh, we are at a turning point in our history. There are two paths to choose. One is a path I've warned about tonight, the path that leads to fragmentation and self-interest. Huh. Down that road lies a mistaken idea of freedom, the right to grasp for ourselves some advantage over others. Hmm. That path would be one of constant conflict between narrow interests ending in chaos and immobility. It is a certain route to failure now you can feel free to cry brother we we can wait while you cry over these words because they speak to you i know they speak to you it's right i thought jimmy buffett was the prophet (laughs) (laughs) see you deflected deflected the emotional moment brilliantly yeah thank you thank you (laughs) 50 years of practice (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I do think that uh, that, uh, that I, I think we need to build a national monument on the mall to declinism with Jimmy Carter. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you can't talk about the end of life, you, you're not prepared for it. You know, you can't. You, it just it's inevitable that the country will and decline doesn't have to be a bad word. So it's, it's, it's adjusting our our our, our worldview in, in a time of change. This is what we're supposed to be talking about. It's a time of change. And. And no, change is not all good. Contrary to you know the Obama campaign rhetoric, change is hard. Change is hard. Sometimes it's adjustment downward, and they can be purifying, and they can they can get you to focus on things that aren't like missiles. <laughs> they can actually get you to focus on things that really aren't about killing people, or the threat of killing people. Remember, thirty nine percent of the world spending on arms is one country. I knew at one at some point one episode we would end on your optimism on an optimistic note. Of course, it was about declinism. Gregory, it was great talking to you. Good to see you, but you go cry now. Don't tell. Don't let us all know your sobs. Wasting away, will, Margaritaville. We will. <laughs> Take care.
Thanks again for visiting with Gregory Rodriguez and Mike Madrid on this episode of Americanata. If you've enjoyed the discussion, please help us out, share, review, and give us five stars. We'll talk to you next episode.